Hello and welcome into another episode of the Calcio Connection podcast, connecting with you Italian football fans from all over the world. Jerry Mancini had to sit this play out, but I owe him one because he uh, he did a show without me a couple of weeks ago when I was on vacation. So uh, I'm returning the favor and this is going to be a fun one. I have plenty of help today. Uh, I've been looking forward for a while, a couple weeks to talk about this. We have with us an author, Italian football expert. It, Jonathan Grade is with us, who wrote the book. I'm really enjoying this, Golazzo, The Football Italia Years. And Jonathan, I'm enjoying this so much because um, the time period that your book covers is perfect for me. You know, I'm in, I'm in my mid-30s. I really started to get into Italian football during the glory era of, of Serie A in the 1990s when they had you know the greatest players in the world, the most expensive signings in the world were all coming to Italy. So, so this, really is, uh, this really is the perfect time period for me to discuss. And I'd love to hear your story, Jonathan, because you outline it early in your book, and, and it's pretty fascinating the way you got into it. How did you stumble upon this role working in television, covering Italian football? Yeah, hi, hi, Alex. Really nice to have me for you to have me on. Um, yeah, so basically, it all started. Um, I, as I said in the book, I was never really madly into Italian football because back then, um, I was a big fan of English football, and all these players kept going over to Italy and get taken from us. And it was, you know, it was. Um, I really wasn't the only being. I really wasn't a mad fan of Italian football, and then. Um, Channel 4 back in the UK picked up the rights for Serie A when Paul Gascoigne went to Lazio. And I did a bit of work experience at the production company and I thought, you know, it'd be great, you know, but Gaza, everything, David Platt was there. And, you know, it was, um, it was an exciting time. And as I did my work experience, I got more and more and more into Italian football. I sort of learned about the players and teams and the, the, sh- the number of, um, of world stars playing out there. So we, um, they were getting ready for the new season. It was their second season on air. And we went out for a sort of pre-season um, dinner. And I, I, I'd only just done work experience there for a month. And um, I asked them uh, for a job, which is like in this day is just ridiculous. You have to go through all sorts of endless applications where you give the jobs away. And they said, yeah, won't be very much money, but start. And, it, and that was the start of it. Wow. And, and and I was really fascinated. And, and you know, I, I'm a guy who uh, I haven't worked much in TV, but radio and, and print. And so I thought that y- your process w- was fascinating because you had to go through, you know, tape uh, of commentary highlights all in Italian. And you had to, like, catalog and time code things. How difficult was that? Oh, I mean, I went it, it was literally like like a journey into the unknown the first day in the office um they had all the logs for all the matches after the first season i spent the entire first day at the uh, photocopy with three massive a4 files photocopying everything one of photocopy everything and i learned about tv as i was going i mean they were telling me stuff but i was sort of learning about the tv production and so I would be literally logging all these tapes and they'd have Italian commentary on. So I eventually I picked up some of the football jargon, such as punizione, rigore, angolo, um, and the positions, portiere. <laughs> <Joker> and, <all> <laughs> and you know what? It was 
because Italian 90 was hadn't happened long before I joined and I picked up bits from the from seeing the matches in Italian but it it literally it was like it was like logging these tapes endless tapes with Italian voiceover and I honestly didn't know what I was doing but I I I knuckled down to it got on with it and I, it just all went from there really so when at what point did the inspiration come to you that I need to write a book about all this. I need to write a book about my experience and what I observed. And and then once you start that process, how long does it take to write that and, and to finish it? Well, um, I'll tell you a bit about it. Um, I, um, I, the, 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 our time on air ended in 2002 and it was sort of, the league was on the decline then. And, and that was it. You know, it was a great period of, great working period in my life, probably the best and I, nothing happened. I did other freelance jobs. I've been freelancing since. And I went, actually, our, our, our main commentator, a guy called Peter Brackley, you probably read about in the book, was like our big commentator. He was a lovely, lovely guy. And he passed away. And just before that, um, one of our um, one of the stars of our production, Kenneth Wollstoneholm, who was, who was, um, who, who voiced a uh, commentator the 966 World Cup final? He had a famous line, they think it's all over it is now when England won the World Cup. And he came out of retirement to work on our show. He was it was a major scoop because he was like one of the you know, one of the biggest names in broadcasting in the UK. And he passed away, and then this other friend of mine, director Tom Docker, passed away, and then Peter Brackley passed away. And I, I just thought, you know what? Leaving Peter Brackley's funeral, I thought, no one ever really sort of signed the series off and wrote about it because you know there's it was an amazing time but there was there was never a sort of a wrap on it because when we came off air we didn't know whether we we're coming back and we said this might be our last show and it sort of encapsulated such a magical time for a lot of football fans in this country and I felt it would be really lovely to sum it all up in a book and I did a lot of research my memory but it's still really strong so I'm very lucky in that regard but um it was just um it was a magical time a magical time for Italian football and I felt it'd be a story people would love I mean people are really really interested in the book which is amazing and it, it was sort of a labor of love for me because I have such a passion for the Italian game still and it was just such a thrill writing it and recalling so many things and I knew that would sort of resonate with with readers you know, I, I like how you mentioned that when you first started, um, y you weren't a huge fan of Italian football before you started this job yeah. in the early 90s. And like what were because, um, you know, people always have, especially back in those days, some stereotypes about Italian football, very defensive, catenaccio, all of that kind of stuff. But but then when you get into it, you start covering, you know, high flying AC Milan teams, for example, who are scoring a ton of goals. So did did you see some of your maybe misconceptions turned on their head pretty early? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the first day in the office, I was looking through all these. Um, they wanted me to log all these tapes from 91, 92 season. And. I was there was this results folder with week by week and I was just then I was reading it and I I had no I had no knowledge of Italian football and then I realised so I went through it that AC Milan had gone through the entire season unbeaten and the final game they were two one down at half time to Foggia and one eight two and I was thinking this this is not a boring league it, it really isn't and that that really struck home with me because our, our first seven games there were thirty one goals I mean it 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 had this 
um, perception with the British public that it was a really negative dull lead, but that's only because the pace of the game is totally different in Italy to what it was in the UK. It was 100 miles an hour, bombing forward in England, and it was, you know, the, the slower build-up. and it, it, They're sort of not comparable because they're two completely different styles of football. You know, when I think of uh, the 90s, and obviously anyone who listens to this knows, and if you're watching it, you see my background. You know, people know I'm an Interista, so I I certainly have a blue and black colored lens that I look back on this area, especially being, you know, a child or, or a teenager through most of that time period. Uh, and, and also, there were some constraints being in the United States because the TV coverage was pretty poor in those days. I relied a lot on you know, sporadic uh, broadcast because my father subscribed to Rai uh, International and he read the Italian papers. So I had to piece things together here and there. But of course, some of the things that really stand out to me about the decade, you know, Milan's dominance early in the decade, Juventus dominance later uh, with Inter, uh, so much hope, a lot of flashy signing success in the UEFA Cup. Uh, you know, the glamour of Ronaldo coming in, the original Ronaldo, not Cristiano, of course, and but, but a lot of underachieving in the league. Uh, you know, you, you were working uh, in TV covering the league for most of that decade. Was, was there any specific maybe one, one season squad or a couple of years that you thought, hey, th- th- this was the most fun Serie A team to cover in the decade? I think... Um... Looking back, I think our best season was the 97-98 season when Ronaldo's first season Inter and they had they were going head-to-head with Juventus for the title. And it just went backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And then obviously you know about the famous meeting in Turin, the, oh. <laughs> the penalty that Ronaldo should have got, the penalty at the other end. <clears throat> and it, it's when you look back at all of that, and I'm not denying, I've written a book, I, you know, despite all of that, Juventus, that Juventus side was phenomenal. And mm-hmm. they were worthy champions that year. But the way it all happened at the end was left a really sour taste. But that day, that match, the, I've never known a match like it because it controversy, it blew anything out of that you've ever seen. As, as I said in the book that season... Um, Juve had had some very questionable calls. They had a goal um, that they conceded at home to Udinese, which should should have stood it crossed the line, all pre-VAR, of course. They got away with a handball at, at um, Lazio. Um, Empoli had scored against them and the ball had, cleared, had gone over the line, wasn't given again. And, you know, in the weeks building this, it was so hyped, this match, and it was like, incredible absolute it's like it's so different that you can't describe the cauldron that Italian football can be on such a huge day and it, this was basically the title decider it was three weeks from the end of the season and Del Piero scored and thinking right okay let's see what Inter can do in the second half and come back and then Juve were trying to stop the game you know classic <laughs> Italian break it down frustrate and then <laughs> came the incident which oh. I've described as the most controversial 15 seconds of Italian in Italian football history. And I, I cannot think you could imagine have anything more controversial than that because there was, you know, the preconception that Juve had benefited in inverted commas from 
um, questionable refereeing decision, especially that season. And to see Ronaldo body checked by Mark Giuliano, first of all, the referees say no, you know, it's a penalty. We all know penalties cannot be given. It was blatant, but whatever, it wasn't given. For then, 15 seconds later, Juve to break the other end, Del Piero to go over like any player would. I mean, theatrically, but they all would, over yeah. Tariba West's leg. And for him to give that one, which was, you know, not even half of the penalty that should have been given the other end. I mean, it, it was crazy. Yeah, and you're right. Because the, the Juliano thing, that, that was a body check. It was, it was one of the most blatant things you could ever see. Yeah. yeah. And I just remember the, the images of the, the huge protests from Inter. Simone shouting, shame him getting sent off, that it it was like into suspicion that year that Juve benefited, it all exploded in one incident. And it was it was an incredibly dramatic afternoon. It was just it was it it was it sort of soured what was an incredible occasion because it was an amazing atmosphere. And it was these two sides, I mean, you try and explain to people now. These two sides were the best in Europe. They were phenomenal sides. You had Del Piero, Zidane, Inzaghi, Antonio Conte, playing for Juventus, of course. Well, which, by the way, it's so it's so weird uh, going back and watching that clip and then seeing, you know, obviously with Antonio Conte being Inter's manager now and then watching yeah. him in that clip and that moment in that game, it, it hurts. It's painful. Uh, <laughs> and then you had Djokaev, you had Ronaldo, Francesco Moriero, who was like amazing printer, he, he had a golden period with them, and you know, huge names. And it, it was, it, oh, have I gone? No, I'm here. Um, it was just the game of the season and one of the game best games we had for drama. But obviously, the referee, the referee mm-hmm. took center stage, and then the next day, when we um, on our Gazetta show the following week, we managed to get footage of the fights in Parliament, and literally, Juventus and Inter politicians, fans, uh, politicians, were, were fighting in Parliament. Yeah. Such was, they were there were fights, but you cannot imagine the impact this had. I mean, it was just, it was staggering. And as I said to you earlier, it sort of was the first signs of what would become Calciopoli with Moji and the whole works, but. That that detracts in some way from some of the sides you've been because that side under Lippi was phenomenal. They didn't actually need the help, but mm-hmm. it's it sort of when you look back on that era and you know Calciopoli happened, you sort of you sort of see how a lot of it worked. And then two years later, they were when they were going for the title with Lazio and Cannavaro's header in injury time, whistle blew, no reason, you know. I mean, there's deci- clubs benefit from decisions all over, but there were it, it, it left a sour taste in the mouth that afternoon, even though it was a dramatic day. So um, when when Calciopoli did come to light several years later, around uh, you know 2006, uh, yeah. when 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 that when all of that started to to come to light, did did the light bulb go off in your mind and say, I kind of had a feeling, you know, going back to '98, you probably weren't too surprised, right? Yeah, I mean, it was just the strangest thing because I went, uh, we actually, um, in 2005, we did a, um, a series that Football Italia came back, a company called Bravo, for a year and a half. And so we 
it wasn't anything like the scale of what we did for Channel Four. It was, it we came back and we did. It wasn't anything like it was. We weren't in the stadiums. You know, it was just. Um, but um, what um, what was noticeable? Is I went the that two thousand five six season before it all kicked off. I went to Turin because it was the pronouncement weekend of the season. Juventus could have won the league, which they didn't on that day, and. Everyone you spoke to knew something was coming, something was big. And the Juventus fans I spoke to were like, were just not in any celebratory mood because they knew there was major, something major was about to kick off. And I remember after the game, I said, look, we'll go to the game, we'll get quotes, and then we'll try and find Luciano Moji. And so after the game, we go to the press conference, and then we go looking around to find where Moji could be. And literally, Moji walked past... It's literally he walked past and the cameras you cannot imagine what it was like it was like some you know some huge film star or whatever because they were on him and he scuttled off and everyone wanted a piece of him and you knew something was about to kick off then and it was it was the whole thing was just dreadful and it you know and even as an interista like you are you don't want even after all this, and you don't really want your Benson and Serie B because it devalues Serie A massively. Yeah, it, and it did, and it was it was horrible. The whole thing was such a was such a horrible episode for for loves of Italian football, and it 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 you know it it Juventus just cleared everything out after that. They they went down, they had to you know fought back, and but they had to clear out the club because what was going on was shocking, and it it was unacceptable, and you know. It, it thankfully changed things in the sound of football. Well said. And, you know, even though, uh, you know, part of uh, being an Interista are, you know, certainly looking at, uh, at at others to blame and scandals for certain things. But, you know, something else that uh, that we can cover uh, was, you know, something that re- really is uh, really is our own fault. And that was blowing the title in uh, a date I'll never forget, 5th of May 2002, yeah. which would, you know, turn out to be the end of the Ronaldo era, era, you know, Inter had to beat Lazio. And it was one of those things where you kind of felt like maybe there was an understanding and Lazio weren't going to put up that much resistance. And it still, it ended up being yeah. a choke well, job by Inter. What were your memories of that? It's pretty interesting you talk about that because on our Cazetta show and the build-up to it, um, Lazio obviously didn't want Juve winning the league. Yeah. Perish the thought Roma could sneak in behind Juve and Inter because Roma that final day Roma could still win that championship, um, and God that that day was something else because um, in the build up all we've been told was because Lazio and Inter fans got off the field a, a close-ish relationship there Lazio and Inter fans get on you know there yeah there's a real link between the clubs and Lazio fans said. Don't support Lazio. Wear your inter, wear an Inter shirt to the game. Cheer into goals. Do not celebrate if Lazio score. So it brought out this whole very strange atmosphere for the day. That Inter was really have a home game, but Inter were under a lot of pressure because they knew they had to win. But whatever the circumstance, winning away to Lazio was not a game you want if you're going knowing you need a win to win the league. So. As the day panned out, Juventus scored twice against Udinese really early on, which sort of ended that game. 
and meant Roma couldn't overhaul them. So it was now Juventus or Inter for the title. And Inter started well. They went a goal up. Lazio got level. They were 2-1 up at half-time. And then in the second half, they just something something happened and they just collapsed. Lazio drew level and then they just... They just went. And Simone and Zaghi scored in that game, I think, as well. Oh, that's and, right. And that's Simeone. Good, good memory. And right. Simeone. And, yeah, and just that image. When they went 4-2 down, Hector Cooper brought off Ronaldo, and then he was in tears and on the touchline. He obviously had that horrific injury in that same stadium a couple of years earlier. Right. Um, and, God, it, it was another strange day because... About five weeks early, Venter said, we're out of this title race. And then suddenly they strung some wins together. And, and every, you know, it was just so tight. The three teams were separated by about two points at the end, I think. Mm. And it just was crazy because um, no one could believe Inter, Inter had quite blown it. I mean, it really was a, it was a choke on the finals there. It's the only way you could describe it. There's no, there no other way. I mean, it just, they had it. They had it in there. They had, a, they had one hand on the trophy. And then it just... It just went. Yeah, that that's one of the reasons why uh, you know any anyone who uh, is an Inter supporter who goes back to that era and even before that, you're always nervous before important games. And and you can probably say that about any football fan. To be fair, Absolutely. you're nervous before big games. But I but I think the difference is with Interisti, a lot of them expect to lose. Like they're not even thinking. Oh, like, I'm kind of nervous. This could go either way. It's like oh, we're gonna choke. That's <laughs> it's sort of how that works. Well, uh, but I want to go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, it's just it had been so many years. They hadn't won titles since '89. So yeah, this was 13 right. years, and it yeah. just it was just. It felt so like their time, you know, Cooper had done an amazing job, you know, he got them to the brink and then it just, it just went in, in one half. It was so strange. It was so strange. You know, uh, going back uh, to the 1990s, you know, one of the things about that era, and you'd mentioned at the top, you know, how, you know, Italian football were, were taking, you know, great players from the UK. I mean, they, they were signing uh, some of the best players in the world during that decade. Is It may be hard to single out just one, but is there a player or a handful of players you look back on and say, wow, these were really the best players or my favorite players in Serie A during that time? Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about that. Obviously, the impact Ronaldo had on the league was something else. I mean, he literally, his arrival in Syria, and all Syria was the best league in the world, but it was like a statement of intent, not just by Inter, but for the league to have this incredible talent. I mean, he was just something else. His pace, his strength, his finishing in the air, free kicks. He had... I mean, a lot of people won't have seen him, but he had everything. I think he's the best striker I've ever seen yeah. because he was clinical. He, his strength, he was such a unit, but he had pace like you cannot imagine. Um, and then I'm, I was just thinking about some of these other names while I was before I came and talked to you. Um, I would say, you know, oh, my goodness. Um, you know, Milan, the, the names, I mean, pull it. Van Basten and then players like Ware and Shevchenko, you know, yeah. who came and and won leagues for them and was incredibly incredible. And then you had Del Piero and Viali at Juventus. You had Batistuta at Fiorentina. You had Zola at Parma. You had 
Di Canio and Napoli. It just, it was just unbelievable. Totti at Roma, you know, Signori oh, yeah. at Lassi. <laughs> I mean, these were biggest names in the world and they were all in Italy. And the strength of the league, I mean, when you think in 97, 98, Bologna had Roberto Baggio playing for them. Mm-hmm. And he scored 22 goals for them. And he got into the World Cup squad from that season. And just every club had these unbelievable stars. And there was all the top talent from around the world were in Italy. And obviously there was a, a long history with South American players coming to Italy because the language, the culture, the weather, the style of football, you know, it's, it's, it's very similar. But all these top players from around the world, I mean, all these European players, you know, the Dutch trio, you know, you spoke about Klinsmann at, and uh, Matthias and Bremer at Inter. You know, these were, these were top, top players. And, and Didier Deschamps at Juventus and, you know, um, Balbo and Fonseca at Roma. <laughs> Just went on. Boxic at Lazio. Mancini. Yeah. I haven't even mentioned Mancini. That's right. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Was, it's, you could probably go on for days with Mancini, these two. He was <laughs> one of my favorites because he just, he would just, he'd disappear in a match and then suddenly he'd just backheel it in from nowhere. And he, he was just, a, he was a maverick. I mean, complete maverick because he just, his talent was phenomenal. But he, some days he was like, yeah, can't be bothered. And some days, it played Palmer in, I think, 99, and Lazio won 3-1 at Palmer, and on one of the goals, um, corner came in from Ferron or whoever it was. Mancini had his back to goal, sort of level with a penalty spot, and as the corner came over, he sort of flicked it with his heel and put it in, and not even looking at, at the goal. He just, all the ball, really. Ball came in, flicked it with, it, with his heel, and it went, and it, that was Mancini, though. That, his talent was unbelievable, and um, you know, just he—he he, did, did he go to Inter? Am I going mad? Was he at Inter? He was—he was coach of Inter. Coach. Yeah, he didn't coach. play for Inter though, did he? Uh no, I don't believe so. He went to Lazio. He went to Lazio, yeah. and then he went to Inter. Yeah, but yeah, he was unbelievable. So many stars. I could go on all night, but um, they, the stars were phenomenal, and they were just—it was just so. It was just such a memorable time because. You had like Batistuta scoring in the first eleven games of a season in '94. I mean, just ridiculous things like that, and just um, phenomenal. And then you had Del Piero becoming the new Baggio at Juventus, and they froze Baggio out, and he left to go to Milan. And Zola at Parma, just unbelievable, incredible times. And I, I just love uh, hearing your passion, and I, I highly recommend for anyone who, whether you grew up in the 90s like I did, uh, you know, born in 84, or if you were a grown man or woman just enjoying the football, it's so much nostalgia. Uh, I cannot recommend the book enough. It's Golazzo, the Football Italia Years. And, you know, Jonathan, before we let you go, uh, yeah. I, I'm curious as, as to your take on Serie A today. I, I don't think we'll ever see another decade like the 90s for Italian football, but but mm. do you see the league maybe being on the way back to an extent? I do. Um, yeah, I won't, I'll say this really quietly, but they are doing better in Europe with one one notable exception this year. But we won't we won't yes. talk, we won't talk about that. I take no offense uh, to it, by the way. I'm, I'm fully I'm fully aware. Are, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, look at the. The biggest, the, the 
best way you could describe the sort of resurgence of Italian football is the Atalanta story. Because you got a team built on no money, getting to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, getting some knockout round of the Champions League again, winning at, at Liverpool. I mean, if I said to you 10 years ago, Atalanta are going to be in the Champions League and they're going to win at Liverpool, you, you would have laughed at me. Yes. <laughs> would have, you would have laughed at me, and quite rightly. But they're a phenomenal story. I mean, they are just where they've come from. Um, it's phenomenal. And you can see that's they, you see so much of Italian football in them because they are, they're, they're a home based side. And, you know, they, there aren't, it's not all about the foreigners. They just, there's just incredible work ethic and, and um, chemistry with the coach. And you see, you've seen it though this year, like Juventus cruised through winning, winning at Barcelona three nil. Um, you know, I mean, these sides are doing are doing well in the Europa League. Napoli are through, you know, Lazio through. Milan, to, yeah. Through in the Champions And they didn't really do very well on the final day, but they got through. So they're through. And they're just... In years gone by, the Europa League, Italian sides would be out in the first couple of rounds. They really they really weren't that bothered. But they, I think a lot of this has to do... They want their coefficient with ranking for UEFA to mm. be up and getting up there means more European places. And I think they realised that, you know, we've got to, um, we've got to take this, even if it's Europa League, we've got to take it seriously because, you know, it benefits us in the future by potentially getting a place in Europe what we might not have done. So I think there's a real desire in Syria to really, you know, get back to where they want to be and, and just, and doing well in these European competitions. And, there's no reason why they can't. I mean, you look at the Champions League this year and Real Madrid look beatable. Um, Barcelona look very beatable. Liverpool are, you know, you don't know. They, they could, yeah. could win it. They could get knocked out. You just don't know like they were last year. Bayern Munich looks strong, but they haven't really been tested so far. And I think it's as open a Champions League as we've had in a while because I think there are so many teams that could win it. I mean, who'd have thought Juventus would win three 0 at Barcelona? I mean, and you know, and it was so it was so effortless. And then they, they, you know, they're dropping points all over the place in Syria. But you know, I mean, I saw your tweet by the way about PLO's Juventus and the rocket. Early. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I would rustle some feathers, but you know what? It, the, the funny thing about. Uh, uh, you, I, I think uh, Juventus Twitter are they're so accustomed, you know, to winning Scudetti, they, they don't get triggered very easily. But, but Jonathan, if I were, God forbid, to tweet anything negative about Milan, I would get attacked instantly. <laughs> oh, I know, I can imagine. But I think we, I think we are, I think we are finally seeing a change, and the league, God knows, it needs a new champion this year. It, it yeah. just needs a new champion, and I think we sort of. You're sort of seeing signs of their empire not crumbling, but you know they win a boss. But they lost three 0 at home to Fiorentina, and it's you don't know. Where, it's very hard to know how that result came about, but it just feels that that edge they had in years gone by doesn't seem to be there this year. And I think for the future of Italian football, I think the league just needs a new champion this year. It just just need someone to break through, end this, and then we'll end this Juventus era, and then see what happens next time. We'll probably make Juve hungry and come back. But yeah. I think we need, I mean, 
we need a new champion. Even you're in with our biases aside, we we just need someone else to win the league this year. I'm sure you agree. Oh, absolutely. And and that's all really, really well said from your mouth to God's ears. Hey, l- let the people know, Jonathan, uh, best place for them to buy the book. Because because uh, I like I said, for for anyone who lived uh, through 90s uh, Serie A, they're going to want to read Golazzo. Yes. So the book is on Amazon. Golazzo, the football Italia years. It's £9.99. So whatever territory you may be in, it will be something similar. There's an e-book for £7.99. And yeah, it's on, it's on, it's doing really well, actually. And um, it's had a surge over Christmas. You know, it's all doing very nicely. And um, if anyone wants to um, get in touch, my Twitter name is at Jonathan Grade. And we have a Golazzo Football Italia Years Facebook page. If you want to go there, oh, I'm, that, that's a good shout. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and uh, and check that conversation out as well. Jonathan Grade, thank you so much. I hope you're having a great holiday season. I'll, I'll wish you happy New Year, and same to you. Thanks so much.